Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're aware of your presence. We want union with you right now and just, we just invite you to come. Not because you're not here, but because we just want you to have the invitation to come and restore our union with you. We've been distracted or busy. We just want to be aware of you. So that's our simple, simple prayer. Make us aware in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jimmy. Like he said, I'm really excited about our series called Emmanuel that we'll be doing together and thought I would just kind of just jump right out of the gate. That's okay. Ask you guys a question. If you had to wrestle with this question, what is the primary story of the Bible? What would you say? Now it's Christmas, so you're like, the Christmas story, okay? So let me, let me just kind of zoom out. I don't mean like what's your favorite story or the Christmas story. I'm saying narrative, Genesis to Revelation. What's the primary narrative God's been trying to scream at us forever? Maybe just put it this way, make you think about it just for a second. Here's the question. What, the primary narrative of the Bible is what? Like if you get Christmas, that's right, it's Christmas. Or maybe it's not. What is it? I mean, you've read the Bible, or you haven't read the Bible, you heard it. How would you answer that question? Well, that's what we're going to answer today. And in the meantime, I'd like you to stand to your feet as we read the Word of God together. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, uh, together as a people. If you're at Father's Day, we read this verse. I only let the fathers stand up. So I just thought, man, let's let everybody in on it uh, as we're going to wrap our lives the next few weeks around what it means to be reconciled to God and reconciled to others. So let's take a look, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And this is, this is from God, sorry, my bad, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Take a seat. Well, a few years ago, I was having a hard time, and a, fr- a friend of mine recommended that I watch a movie called The Shack. Now, if you're not familiar with The Shack, it's got to be the most controversial thing you could bring up ever in church or on, especially at Christmas. And like, if you go online, you'll find that half of the world thinks it's the best thing ever and half of the world is devoting their life to theologically unraveling this great book. So, but I couldn't deny it sold over 22 million copies. It's really one of the most famous books ever written. So I thought, okay, I'll watch this movie. And I did. And uh, it's about a guy having a hard time, so I related. But there was this one part of the movie that really stuck out to me. So I call my friend and I'm like, man, that one part, I don't know how the author thought of that. That was just amazing. I just cried a lot. He's like, that's awesome. The next morning, I woke up to an email from the author of The Shack. And I was like, man, these iPhones. I mean, if I started talking about Denny's, I'd wake up with an email tomorrow, like join the Denny's club, you know, like they're they're listening to us, I'm convinced, you know? And then my next thought was, Sean Dunn, 
I mean, there's some way that I'm being pranked by my staff. And so, and I open it up and he's like, hey, I heard that you might be interested in a conversation. Um, if you've got some time this week, let me know when. I'll, I'll move my schedule around. We get some time together. And I'm like, what? And so I test it. I'm like, okay, how about three o'clock tomorrow? Sounds good. See you then. And I'm like, we'll see, you know. And so it's a Zoom link. And so I, I go to the Zoom link and there's Paul Young, the most kind, unassuming man. And he starts with just, hey, I'm friends with the guy you're friends with. And so he told me you might want to talk and had some questions. But man, I would just love to know your story. Would you tell me your story? And I'm like, sure. But if my wife will tell you, I'm an overtalker. I mean, y'all listen to my sermons. Y'all know. I mean, like, like I, I, she's always like, hey, he didn't really mean that. Just kind of talk a few minutes and bow out, you know? So about every 30 minutes, I'd start kind of like zooming out of the picture, you know? And I'm like, hey, thanks so much. He's like, no, can I ask you another question? And, and then I just start pestering him with questions. And he's just saying. And so it's been like over two hours when we finally wrap up this conversation. And he says, he says to me, well, Carl, you've got my email, my phone number. Just let's keep this conversation going. I'd love to just stay in touch with you. We hang up, and I'm, I told you I was going through a hard time. Like I, I kind of hit the leave thing, and I just start crying. And Blair walks into the, the dining room, and she's just like, well, why are you crying? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I, have to pause, I had to kind of think about it, and it, I think it just kind of finally landed on me. I'm actually fairly good at putting myself in the orbit of famous people. Like some of us do that. Jimmy's laughing because he knows. Like we go into a room, Jim, there's like, there's Louis Giglio. Jimmy goes to the back and I'm like, hi, I'm Carl. I know Jimmy. You know, like I, 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 wherever the famous person is, if it's Tim Tebow, I just happen to sit right next to him. Oh, hi. You know, like I, I've got such selfies with famous people. I can get into their orbit. It's really strange when the famous person is trying to get into yours. And I sat there and said, I know what it's like to be tolerated. I met the college game day crew. They kind of tolerated me, took some, you know, selfies and like, you know, it's one thing to be tolerated. It's another thing when they're like, no, stay on a little longer. I, I, I want to know more about you. And you know the difference between being tolerated or, or being pursued. And when they just keep coming like, hey, you've got my number, you've got my email. Can we keep this conversation going? I got more out of that than anything in the conversation itself. And so we're doing this series, Emmanuel, which means, say it together with me, God with us. So we're focused on the fact he's with us. The question is, does he want to be? And is he pursuing you? And do you recognize it? Do we recognize it? Because pain makes it tough. Weariness makes it tough. Busyness makes it tough. Anybody relate to this tension? Okay, good, because if not, I'm just going to say this for myself. I thought it might be good for you as well. And the truth of the matter is, from Genesis to Revelation... People dealt with this tension. Let's go to the book one, Genesis. There's a legend named Jacob there. Matter of fact, the Jews still pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's pretty important. And in chapter 28, he, he goes to sleep. He has this dream. There's a ladder, not going from earth to heaven. It's coming from heaven to earth. And the angels are coming and they're descending up and down. And in chapter 28, God speaks to Jacob and he says, I am the Lord. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Watch Jacob's response in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I mean, anybody else ever been there where you're not fully aware of God's presence? I mean, this type of dilemma, it's Genesis to Revelation. It's all through the book. So 
I know at Christmas time I'm supposed to say all the way through the book to Luke 2. Can we pedal 17 chapters past Luke chapter 2? And if you're mad at me because it's supposed to be all about Christmas in Luke chapter 2, just entitle your sermon notes, Merry Christmas Zacchaeus. It's not about that at all, but you'll feel better. So let's go to chapter 19 of Luke chapter 19 and look at verse 1. It says there that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now, Jericho is about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's known as an oasis city. In fact, King Herod had like his winter pal- palace there because they just, the beauty of basking in the sun. It also catered to the rich and the powerful. So the streets are littered with the homeless and the poor because it's a port city. There's traders and they're hoping to be able to trade, uh, to, that the traders will throw a few coins in, in that general direction. So if you went a little further back in your Bible to chapter 18, Jesus has just been interrupted by a blind beggar saying, please, he's on that road saying, please, would you give me something? Give me my sight. And he gets his sight back. So Jesus gets to Jericho. Now he's got about to enter another interruption with a man on the opposite side of the financial spectrum. Look at verse two. It says, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And you can almost say, and thus rich. Because Zacchaeus is uh, most likely a Jew. Jews, uh, tax collectors were Jews who had been hired by Rome to go get their money. And they didn't really care how they did it, so they could actually overcharge, line their pockets, get really wealthy. Luke, who is a doctor, he's very, he puts a lot of detail in to his, uh, to his gospel. He notes he's a chief tax collector. He's like up in the ranks. So he's not a traitor to the Jewish people. He's the traitor of traitors, okay? And what we're about to learn in verse three is something interesting about him, a couple things actually. Verse three says, he was trying to see who Jesus was. That'll preach right there. We got another Jacob on our hands who's like, I want to see who this guy is. Kind of interesting to me because in our book, whenever people find out I'm a pastor, I was at a prison yesterday, I never tell people I'm a pastor because they're like, oh, I'm not real good. So I don't ever say that. I say things like, "I, I work with leaders. I say kind of all kinds of random things because the second they hear pastor, they're like, oh, uh, you know, put their cigarette behind their back and, you know, stop saying the F word. And I'm just like, so I don't, I don't do that. What's interesting is wherever Jesus went, the F word smoking people would go find him. <laughs> all the F word people said, amen. So he's trying to, he's trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he can't because he's short. Where are my short people at? All right. Not, not, not the short person next to you. All you short people get mad and hit them back harder. Okay. The short man's there and he's, he's got to be able to find Jesus. And so what does he do? Verse four tells us what he does. He ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. So he's putting himself in line with Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, now pause right here. How many of you have heard the Zacchaeus story before? Raise your hand. If you haven't, that's totally fine. Welcome. Glad you're here. How many of you sang the song when you were little? You know. What it, okay, forget, delete, push delete on the song. Push delete on the fact you know how this goes. And whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, if you had to answer the question, what do you think Jesus is going to say to a chief tax collector? What would it be? Because it's probably one of two camps. It's probably, bro, get your act together and stop oppressing our people and then come follow me. Well, if it's not get your act together, the only thing I would know to do is to look back at the things he said to other people and assume he'll just pull one of those out of his bag. 
So he met some fishermen and he said, hey, why don't y'all drop your equipment, stop doing that and come follow me. So that's option A. Option B, he told a religious leader, you have to be born again. Just confuse the heck out of him. So he could do that, just do what he always does, just confuse the heck out of us, see if we'll stick around. He could also do what he did with the immoral woman at the well. Would you give me a drink? I actually have some unseen living water you might want. He could pull that out of his bag. He could do what he told the rich young leader. Hey, go sell everything you've got. Go give it to the poor. Then get in the boat with me. Which of those four or more is Jesus going to pull out of his bag? Let's just see what he does. It goes on. It says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. He doesn't use any of those things. I hope you see this because Jesus doesn't copy paste with us. That's why he said, I'm going to be with the Father. You want me to. You want the Holy Spirit. Because on you know, December 3rd, 2023, a bunch of people are going to show up at church and everybody needs something different. And so I'm not going to copy paste and be like, what did I say? Oh, it's uh, can I have a drink of water? I mean, he's not, I'll pull that one out. He knows what Zacchaeus wants. What's the one place you don't want people to go? When your house is messy, right? Like some of you right now, your Christmas decorations are everywhere. If I said, guess what? Murray's, I'm coming to your house. I'm like, hey, great. Steph's gonna be like, great. I'm gonna leave. I'll go get it ready. We'll get some lunch. You know, you know Mick, go pick up bushes on the way. You know, I'll act like I made it. So, right? <laughs> Carl, go to Joanna Gaines' house. It's been ready since November 1st. You know, just go there. None of us wanted him. You don't want me to show up at your house? Jesus goes, I'm going to your house. And not hurry and come down. I must stay there. I have to get to your house today. He's never used this one before. And there's no sermon, there's no altar call, no spiritual language necessarily. He's just like, I would love to rearrange my life today and go into your space. Because point number one, the the, the story of the Bible is not primarily about people's desire to be with God. It's about God's desire to be with people. Not just his people, all people. That's the story of the Bible. So much so, he will come right up to you and ask you to get out of your tree. And he wants to go to the house that you want to go straighten up real quick. And he doesn't want to give you time to do it. And he's not scared of that. I want to to thank you guys um, as a church family because, wow, I'm getting emotional already. Should have practiced this part probably. But, um, but a few weeks ago, Jimmy let you guys know that my father-in-law had passed away. And uh, y'all took a minute to pray for our family and pray for others grieving. I just want to say thank you so much. People started texting us and really means a lot because uh, Blair's dad, Larry, was a very generous, kind, godly man. And we, he was 78 years old. And I don't know if it's maybe because I'm getting older, but that does not feel old. And so it's just been kind of a, it's been a, a we're kind of still kind of all scrambling around with that. And, uh, but the second word hit that he passed away, people just started flooding us with stories about how he had served them, loved them, and blessed them. In fact, we joked that it was almost like he lived a double life, like, but it wasn't a shady life. It was like he was trying to love and serve everybody and not tell anybody. And it just all came out and the stories of him making breakfast and being with people, just wanted to be with people all the time. There were people showing up that the girls hadn't seen since junior high 
who were just in tears. He changed our life. So we get back from Atlanta, Blair's from Atlanta, and uh, we're with our kids, and Blair says, I have a treasure I want to show you guys. Um, and to understand this, you have to, does anybody here remember tape recorders? Okay, shout out to the 70s and 80s. Like we were in the prison yesterday, they had a tape recorder and I walked over, I was like, wow, the red record button. We would like push that, talk into it, rewind it, listen to our voice, like think voice memo circa 45 years ago, you know? And so, and anyway, it was just wild to see that. Blair found a tape from 1977. Her mom was a teacher, would leave early to go to school. And so her dad would make her breakfast and, and often record her, their conversations so that when her mom got home, she could listen. And in one of the conversations, he's asking her what she has for breakfast. And then she, she basically, she announces she wants to play her harmonica, which she can't say harmonica, I guess, because she's four. And so it's like harp, but it comes out like heart. Can I play my heart? And he's like, why don't you play your heart? And so as I was listening to this, just, I just thought, can I, show, can I play this little 90-second clip, let y'all meet my four-year-old, <laughs> my wife at four years old from Georgia, and just also, maybe it'll keep answering that question that we're all talking about. So take a listen. Good morning, Blair. We were sitting at the breakfast table this morning with Blair King. We thought y'all would like to talk to her while she's having breakfast. She's sitting there just eating away. <laughs> Seem to be having a real good time eating, though. Would you like to say something for us, Miss King? Would you like to comment to your audience? Yes. Eat your breakfast. Yeah, sure. Tell every. Would you tell everybody what you're having for breakfast this morning? Eggs and oysters and jelly toast. Yeah. And who fixes fine breakfast for you? Oh, my daddy. Yeah. Well, it's a very wholesome, very fine breakfast. I think you'll enjoy it very much. Yeah. And that is the truth. This morning, Blair's going to play a little song for you. Yeah. On her harp. Yeah. And I think you'll enjoy it very much. Okay. Right. Now, here I present the one and only Blair King on the harmonica. Take away, Blair. Let's not hear it one more time. Um, I think we'll all agree Blair was absolutely horrible at playing that harmonica. But you would never know it because of how obsessed her dad was with her. And at the funeral, Blair said something that I just thought, man, every dad wants that said. She said, in 25 years of ministry, I've prayed for a lot of people who have had a hard time understanding God as father because of their own relationship with their dad. She said, I never had to grapple with that because of my father's constant love and desire to be with me. I hope you're catching it. So what does that have to do with you? You may not have a cassette tape from 1977. You may not have that same revelation. But I hope you get it, that if you believe the central theme of the Bible is forgiveness, well, it's in there, and we all need it, don't we? If you believe the central theme of the Bible is about when you die, you get to go to heaven, well, can't wait for that. I'm ready any moment. Anybody? I mean, just like, let's go. 
but I'm not sure that's it. I think the central theme of the Bible is, I will be with you. The central theme of the Bible was Jesus not just coming, you know, at Christmas time. It was Matthew 28, towards the end of his life on earth, saying, go make disciples, and my promise is I'll be with you to the end of the age. What you see from Genesis to Revelation is over and over. I'm with you. I'm pursuing you. You don't want me? It's okay. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. You're getting in trouble. You're going to hate your life. Okay, but I'm still coming. Okay, you, you want me now? Okay, I'm back. I'm back because I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just the central theme of the Bible coming over and over and over again. And so God pursues this liar and this runner named Jacob through a dream of a ladder. And then he pursues a man named Noah and his family by putting a rainbow in the sky. He wants you to remember it every time it rains so you can remember that promise. He pursues a murderer named Moses by coming to him in a a burning bush. He pursues Elijah, not through the earthquake, not through the wind, but through the still small voice. Then he pursues this one group of pagans by just letting a hand appear from heaven and write on a wall. That'll wake you up on a Sunday morning. And then, yes, he pursues his own son through a thundering voice from heaven. And in Luke chapter two, he comes to some shepherds. He comes to a carpenter. He comes to a virgin through some angels shouting my favor. And then 17 chapters later, he shows up to a man named Zacchaeus who just made the smallest gesture of wanting to see Jesus. And he came to him because the story of the Bible is not primarily about our desire to get to him. It's his desire to get to us over and over again. And this is why I need you to get this because if, if not, many of us believe we got saved off a gospel that was Jesus had to die for our sins. Which is true. He did die for our sins. We did need that. But that gospel doesn't tell me whether he wanted to or not. He doesn't tell me if he wants to be with me. He doesn't tell me if he enjoys me or not. That gospel doesn't let me know if I'm the dinner guest who's not catching the subtle clues that they're kind of done. So is he the quiet, shy introvert over in the corner who's just like, keep the conversation going? Or does he actually want to be with me? See, everything I just said, it really is true. You do need forgiveness. Thank God we get some. You needed someone to pay pay the price for your sin. And he deserves our sacrifice as a result. But if we live in that mentality, and sometimes it can just be a lever, he did this, he gets that. But the scripture you just read with me, that's not, at the very beginning of our time, you stood it, and you stood and read with me. It doesn't say his goal is forgiveness alone. If it was, then he would have come up to Zacchaeus and said, hey, you missed the prayer, and I need you to pray this prayer. Pray, pray right now. Okay, forgiveness. Okay, now wait, and then eventually you'll die, and I'll see you in heaven. And that would have been the whole goal of the whole thing. So let me remind you what you stood and read and make it a little bit better by reading in the Amplified Version because my wife likes that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. But all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I love this. So that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is restoration to favor with God. 
So it wasn't just that come and get forgiven because the word reconciliation actually means that you have found a restored friendship. Reconciliation is restored friendship with God. This is, this is, this is different than just did you get forgiven. This is, wait a minute, I haven't just had my debts cleared. He's not just not holding things over my head. Again, if he offered that, that's more than we deserve and I'm grateful. He's offering unconditional closeness. Second Corinthians 5 equals unconditional closeness. And I mean, this is just mind boggling to me because forgiveness takes you back to Genesis chapter three and the fall and our need for forgiveness. But reconciliation takes you back to the very beginning when God would come walking in the cool of day wanting to be with his people, walk in union with him. If you believe that, if that's, you actually believe this, then you'll do the only thing that you can do when an almighty, holy, generous, loving, kind God comes up to your tree and says, can I come? Verse six tells us Zacchaeus' response of Luke chapter 19. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. You have no other response. I mean, I guess you could, but why? He wants to come and he wants to, to be with you. So I hope you're catching the two things of this story. Very simply, Jesus is coming to you. And it's not just so that you will get saved. I'm not talking about did he come to you in that time you prayed a prayer. I'm saying every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every month, every year, he just keeps coming. He just keeps coming. And just the smallest gesture of desire on your part can unlock a flow of living water out of your life. That's okay. Um, so here's my question. How should this story interact with your day? Who's going to lunch after this? Like four of us. Great. I, I, I encourage the rest of y'all to eat. It's a fun thing to do. Um, some of you guys have Christmas cards to get out. or you feel bad about that? Who's got finals this week, college students? Who's going to work tomorrow? Like five more people. Great. We only go work. Gosh, we do a series on work. Apparently nobody works. I would like to suggest something. You got a lot going on in your life right now. And the way that we get so much information, we have so much information, it's hard to give our attention to anything. So by next week, y'all won't remember we're in a series out of Emmanuel, and you won't remember who talked. And you'll be like, what are we talking about, Emmanuel? I think that's God with us. I mean, it'll, it'll, seven days will like seven years. So I gotta ask you a question. How does everything you just learned, how is that going to affect the way you interact with God? Because I'd like to suggest something. More than you know, meaning down in your subconscious where you're not aware of, your prayer life lives under one of two lenses. And one of those lenses is some version of this, I should pray more. I think we have that, but we don't. There, we don't have it. There, no, that's not it. That's not it. Maybe we don't have that one. Okay. I should pray more. And it's that sense that, hey, how's your prayer life? It's okay. You, but I'm probably not praying as much as I should. That's why I don't tell people I'm a pastor. It's like they mean, like, oh, I'm not praying as much as I should, pastor. You know, or how are the holidays? Well, we're kind of busy. Didn't pray as much as we could. But yeah, it's just always like this sense of, I should pray more. And it's like this weight. That's one lens you could live under that you should pray more. Probably a, some version of truth to that. But in that, in that version, 
It's on your shoulders to pursue God, to talk to him and keep the relationship alive. If you don't, it dies. Now there's another lens you could live under. And that prayer life lives under the revelation of he actually wants to be with me. He's coming to me. He keeps pursuing me. He keeps calling me out of the tree that I'm in. So when I just turn my head and I give my attention to him, it's like I'm stepping into the middle of a Trinitarian circle. They've been having a conversation. They just pulled up a chair. I don't have to get the conversation started. You introverts will love that. Like it's already started. I just get to go, what are we talking about? And they've been talking about me. And they want me to join this conversation. The weight's not on me, it's on them. I get to just step right into that conversation. And like the great author Ronald Rawheiser says, then the first act of prayer is to simply relax into God's goodness. Like, is that your first act of prayer? Let's all pray. It's your automatic default. Okay, he just said pray. We need to begin by just relaxing into God's goodness. Most of us are like, okay, well, God, there's a lot going on. You know what it is. I don't remember. Just bless everybody. <laughs> but if I live under the revelation of Luke 19 and the narrative of Scripture, then I'm now actually stepping into something that God's inviting me into. And that's where you saw the Scripture I thought we could all memorize today because Paul apparently had it under wraps in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says, pray without ceasing. Say that with me. You just memorized your Bible verse for the day. Look at your neighbor and say that. Look at your other neighbor and say it. You just memorized your, your Bible verse for the day. Good job, guys. You got that on lock. Great job. Now, I have to say, this verse always confused me. And here's why. I'm bad at that. Like, I'm a pastor. Y'all pay me to pray. Like, I guarantee you I go to more prayer meetings than most of y'all. I get paid to do that. And I can't do it. I can't pray without ceasing. I'm like, sorry, I watched the Cowboys game. I was like, God, let them win. But I wasn't praying the whole time. I was eating queso. Like, I mean, if I can't do it, how does the CEO pray without ceasing? How does the mom of three young kids pray without ceasing? How does a college professor all day long, how do you pray without ceasing? Just again, depends on what revelation you're living under. And apparently I was living under the, the, for, the first one when... Someone asked me two years ago, they said, let me ask you a question. What if prayer was less about the words you say and more about your awareness of God's constant presence in your life? Y'all are like, mm, that's good. I was like, what in the heck are you talking about? He's like, what if prayer wasn't about your words? Like you just were constantly aware he's with you. And I was just like, you feel like an egg cracked, like that's good, but it's like kind of going. I'm like, I'm not getting it. He said, what's prayer? And I was like, say it with me, talking to God. Y'all did not say it with me, talking to God. Okay, well, let's just expand it. What else is prayer? Listening to God. Okay, what else is prayer? Singing? I was like, I don't know what you want. He's like, well, what if it's not just talking and listening? Like, what if it was just your constant awareness of the presence of God in your life? And it clicked. And I thought, that would take some practice. Because I do quiet times most days. And I pray throughout my day. Like I, I'm like, Lord, help me with this. And I need wisdom about that. I'm in a conversation that's not going well. Lord, help, help, help. Like, I do that. But the amount of times I come to the end of my day and I feel like my quiet time was like a month ago. That happens all the time. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, he's not 
like measuring me on how long? Well, the quiet time was 29 minutes. You'll get a 29% uh, degree of life today. Because I can also read my scripture for the day and then go all day long. And I know God loves me and I think he knows I love him. But how do I abide in his presence throughout the day? This was what began to, to hit me. And I thought, this would take some practice. But I can do that. And I learned that there was a man who did devote his life to this. In the 1600s, he, his name was Nicholas Herman. He was a, a peasant. And he uh, went off to battle in, in war. He got injured. He had PTSD. He went to live with his parents. Uh, he lived in constant chronic and worry. And life was tough for him. And one day, he's looking at a tree. And it's like this truth hit him that the secret of the life of the tree was that it remained rooted in something other and in something deeper than itself. And he ends up like giving his life to God through that and joins a monastery to deepen his spiritual roots. And so they made him the cook, but he was so, had so many physical problems, he just kept getting demoted. By the end of the time, he was the guy fixing people's sandals. So he wasn't like going north in status necessarily, but he had determined no matter what role I have, he was going to make his life an experiment in, what, in this right here. I love this phrase. He called it a habitual Silent, secret conversation of the soul with God. Can y'all say that with me? One, two, three. A habitual, silent, secret conversation of the soul with God. And they went on to call him Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence was pursued and people wanted to him to be able to, to, to learn what, how he did this. And he came, had a title, a name for this. He called this the practice of the presence of God. Because it was something he had to practice consistently. So they took his let, like letters to him and interviews with him. And one, of the, and, and one of the things that he wrote that I just absolutely love, just tell me if you can just feel something inside as I read this. The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company. Oh gosh, I just love that. Finding con constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him and at all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. And though he was outgoing and people loved him, they said more than any other person at the, at the monastery, he's never made, like, made pope. He's never like famous. People would come from miles around because there was this living water flowing out of this short order cook who kept getting demoted and fixed sandals because he had devoted his life to this. And that little book, The Practice of the Presence of God, many believe it's the most read book the last four centuries outside the Bible. And I read it when I was 18 years old, but I just thought, yeah, can't do that. And I kind of moved on. But I just began to go, I bet I could do that. How many times in my day today can I just think, he's with me. He wants to be with me. I can do that at lunch today. I can lead a meeting tomorrow, which I'm gonna do, and during that meeting, practice how many times I can think in my head, you're here, and you wanna be here. You're not tolerating me. You love me. I'm not great at this, but this is something I've just been practicing over the last couple of years. And literally, it's felt like a, a living water has just flown out of me that I didn't know I could have. Because I used to see prayer through the lens of I'm good at prayer or I'm bad at prayer. And remember, the Pharisees were good at fasting. And Jesus said, you're really good at the discipline. The discipline was never the point. 
When the discipline is the end of what you're shooting for, it loses its life. So you're not trying to be good at the discipline. The discipline's supposed to lead you to God. So you go without eating, but you're not taking care of the poor. You're not meeting with God. You missed the point. And so I was like, oh, wow, I can feel good at prayer this day, bad at prayer. And God's like, that's not the point. It's to lead you to where you're open to him. What's, what's distracting me? I want you to come near. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's my emotions, my grief. It's supposed to open me to him. So this little book just kind of opened my mind to say, I'm not supposed to measure myself up if I'm good or bad or someone else's prayer life. My whole goal is just to simply get up in a tree. And just the next moment of my life. So I, now it's like, when's the last time you prayed? Y'all haven't been praying? You've been listening to me? But right now you can just stop and be like, I want you, God. Not, not Carl, I want you. Your goal is not to be a good sermon listener. It's like, I want you, God. I hope you're distracted. I hope you don't hear a word I say the rest of the time. You won't remember it anyway. You'll remember what he says to you. You'll remember his, your awareness of his presence with you. So when you walk out of here today, my prayer is you'll commit for these next seven days. Don't commit for the rest of your life. This is not your New Year's resolution. Like for seven days, how many times in my day could I just be aware of the constant presence of God? You might come to the end of the week and say, I just prayed without ceasing. I mean, I, I slept. But then I woke up and I was just aware of his presence. I just hope you get it. He wants to come to your house. As we end, you know, I was, yesterday I was honored. Jason Ramos invited me and a team of 20 people to go do prison ministry in Gatesville. So we were there all day yesterday. And they started by taking us to some cell blocks of ladies who would not be able to come to our service later that day. They don't leave their cell block for 23 hours of the day. And I wish I could tell you the stories. God showed up and it just, wow. Whew. Don't believe the gospel works. You need to go to prison. It's, it's, it'll mess you up. And I had this great conversation. Maybe I'll tell you about it sometime. But I get done with the conversation, and we're leaving. And the chaplain says, hey, Carl, can you go talk to that lady in the corner? Uh, she wants someone from Waco to show up. So I walk up, and, and I'm like, hi, I'm from Waco. And she comes, and she goes, I'm from Waco. I said, really? And she said, yeah, do you know a girl named Miss Kim? And I was like, who? And she's like, she lives over da -da 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 near the church. And I said, oh, yeah. I totally know Kim Cutler. She's like, she tells me she owns a baked bliss bakery. Yeah, she goes, I was in her Bible club. And we go back to the year and I realized she was in my youth group. But I wouldn't have known it because she spent most of the time with Kim. She didn't come to the services a lot. And we just start talking about Waco and she's showing me pictures and she's telling me hard times and good times. And we're just connecting a bit. And Jason comes by and I'm like, Jason, come on over. I want you to meet someone from Waco because the rest of our team, they say they're from Waco, but they moved here later. They're not really. So I just, you know, I just, we needed some Waco, Waco people. So Jason and I, and he's talking and where you live and we're all back and forth. And so Jason's like, you got a Bible? And she goes, yeah. She goes, and she's like, pull it out. She's like, can't find it under the bike. Jason's like, put, dust it off. You can find it, you know. And she finds it and comes over and he goes, open up the table of contents. She opens it up and we look down. And she, he's like, you see that book, Hosea, right there? It's on page 615. Turn to 615. She turns it up over to that. And he goes, go to the big number two. And she goes to that. And then go to verse 14. And he has her read this verse. She reads it out loud. And Jason, I don't know if this like happened on the spot. This, you got to be with this guy when he's doing this kind of stuff. He's just a wonder. But he goes, what cell block are you in? Like, what, what row are we on? She said, B. Said, what letter of the alphabet is that? Two, that's right. What number is your cell? 14. 
So Hosea chapter two, verse 14, I will allure you. I will draw you into the wilderness that I might speak kindly to you. And if Jason had said, Carl, would you like to receive Christ? I would have said, I, I, right there, I, I, yes. I, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please come into my life. I forgot about Natasha for a moment. Coming to someone who is in her cell 23 hours a day, Jesus showed up at her house. So today I've asked Jason to go to all of your houses and to find a way to tie in the scripture to your address. It's going to be a great day. See, Jason can't be everywhere, so it's good that Jason go home to be with his family because Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to come to you. So before we leave today, I don't want you to move. I want you to go back to Luke 19, and we're going to do a little fill in the blank because I know you might like what I'm saying. The question is, do you believe it? And you may or may not, but you could practice it. You could practice it right now. Can we put that up right now? You get to do a little fill in the blank time. The scriptures were written for you. So you get to put your name right in that blank and hear him say, Chris, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Laura, hurry and come down. I, I must stay at your house today. I want to encourage you to close your eyes for a moment. My voice is going on mute. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak, but I just want you to practice that putting your name in that blank because this week you're going to practice being aware of his presence. Maybe you'll use words. Maybe you won't use words. You're just going to practice constantly being aware of his presence with you. But to begin that time, this is the kickoff. I'm not saying go and make something happen this week, manufacture feelings. I'm saying begin by realizing he's coming to you. Put your name in that blank and let that just meditate, roll in your mind in these moments. okay, that was good. And he's, he might just be saying, no, I want, I want to know a little bit more. Just fill in the blank. Let him fill in the blank. Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for repairing our union with you. Amen. Stand to our feet. Because as we close our time today and our ministry team comes forward, I know that some of you just need to sit in that seat and you just need to keep meditating on his presence with you as we sing this song about that very thing. And others of you might have something else you need prayer for. And you might come to the front, but someone out there might be right now just saying, I'm kind of like Zacchaeus and 
kind of like that girl, I'm not really following him and I've never fully surrendered. And if so, Jesus is coming to your house today for the very first time. And I'd like all of us to bow our heads, but as our ministry team makes the way to the front, actually, if you do need prayer for anything, you just start making your way right now. But if you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to pray a prayer. I'm asking you to realize he's coming to you and he's not just offering forgiveness, he's offering reconciliation. And he's offering restored friendship where you leave one kingdom and you step into a completely different kingdom. And if that's your desire, then for the very first time, you might pray something like, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? I surrender to Emmanuel. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I choose to follow you, the Son of God, for the rest of my life. Hear those prayers, Lord, of people running into your kingdom. Actually, hear all of our prayers, God. We all are up in our tree right now, coming down and excited. You want to come to our house today. Convince us again, Lord. Let's sing this together. If you need prayer in any way, come forward. If not, let this be the prayer of your heart as we go.